بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him, we seek His assistance and we seek His forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, then none can misguide. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala misguides, then none can guide. And peace and salutations be upon our final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Um, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, and uh, welcome to another episode um, in our series, Provisions for the Hereafter, or a summary of uh, the book provisions for the hereafter Mukhtasar Zad al-Ma'ad by um, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab Rahimahullah and uh, he was obviously the one who summarized the book but the book was originally written by uh, Imam ibn al-Qayyim Rahimahullah um, This is lesson 16 lesson 16 uh, since the beginning uh, of Zad al-Ma'ad um, towards the beginning of this year and all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for bringing us thus far and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to preserve us in his obedience Ameen preserve us in his obedience and allow us to progress and uh, inshallah uh, once we get through this book we ask Allah to bless us with um, a chance to study another book together ta'ala. Um, obviously the learning outcomes of this particular series is, is clear um, and at the moment we're traversing through um, a lot of fiqhi uh, matters and um, given that the learning objectives of this course does not involve uh, analyzing these differences of opinion we, we're skipping through them but rather taking um, benefit from them and becoming enlightened uh, Okay, now in our previous uh, sitting we started talking about Salatul Jumu'ah and Salatul Eid and um, the Salah during uh, the, the uh, you know, ju- uh, during drought or um, during an eclipse um, and so on and so forth and we were just, uh, d- uh, you know, doing a run through what we heard uh, read from the text um, and I think we managed to complete Walillahi Alhamd uh, matters pertaining to Salatul Jumu'ah uh, before before uh, the end of uh, or meaning matters pertaining to the the the, the blessings um, and virtues of uh, the day of Jumu'ah the day of Jumu'ah and this was uh, before um, the end of last week last week session uh, in terms of uh, the notes very quickly my dear brothers and sisters then um, if you open your page 67 your page 67 then uh, the hadith uh, cited by uh, the, or, or that you find in the text uh, regarding uh, the narration of Ibn Ishaq uh, rahimahullah um, describing 
the first sermon which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam delivered according to Abu Salama ibn Abdul Rahman. Uh, then the scholars, rahmatullahi alayhim, um, they say that this narration has, has weakness. They say that this narration has uh, weakness. So it's just important to note for your own selves that the narration uh, does have weakness in it due to uh, a break in the chain uh, of narrators. Right? And, and um, this study is done by the scholars of hadith, obviously. And the reason why uh, you find gradings to hadith is because um, after the passing away of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and after the era of uh, um, the khulafa al uh, rashidun um, and the transfer of uh, the Muslim empire or the Islamic caliphate to Iraq, uh, what happened was uh, in Iraq this uh, tendency uh, and also after the spread of the Sahaba from Medina to other parts uh, of the world, um, a trend started coming about by uh, people who, were, who, who, who lacked re- religiosity uh, to actually fabricate narrations of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is what, oh, this is what started to happen. Right? So it wasn't that, you know, uh, at the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, uh, people uh, doubted what a narrator would say. And obviously, as long as somebody is a Sahabi saying the Prophet ﷺ said this, then they've heard it from the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba are all trustworthy. Yes, at the time of uh, Abu Bakr and, and Umar and, and um, uh, you know, at the time of the Sahaba, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, um, there are clear reports that um, some of the companions would, um, you know, either ask a companion to bring someone else who can vouch that that hadith was said by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Not in the in the sense of doubting uh, the the narrator or the Sahabi, but just to ensure that um, the wordings are correct. There's no mistakes. That you know it 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 it, it is as uh, was narrated. And um, so we find Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu used to request um, uh, some, somebody else to come and vouch for a narration. Um, the same thing with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Uh, it is reported that Ali radiallahu anhu used to make the, make the narrator take a qasam, that, uh, to swear by Allah that you know, he heard it like this from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? So... Um, um, these, uh, you know, th- these processes were in place from the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in, but not, um, you know, not based on, 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 on the need that we find later on. Later on there was an actual need because a trend came about, right, where people started fabricating things about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and attributing uh, narrations to him when he never even said it. And as you know, brothers and sisters, the Shia, they have narrations. Right, um, you know the the you know the Khawarij. They have their own narrations. So everybody, all these misguided sects that started coming about, they also had narrations. But you know, it can't be that they all have narrations and they some are misguided and some are guided. The reality is, where did these narrations come from? So a trend from the scholars came about, which was some mulana rijalakum, that you need to now tell us where you heard this hadith from. So this now, uh, this trend did come about because of need and necessity. It's not the same as it was at the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in. And because this trend came about, then a trend from the scholars to gather hadith also came about. 
a trend from the scholars to also gather the hadith also came about. Otherwise, at the time of the Prophet wasallam, the narrations were not gathered. In fact, at the beginning, the Prophet wasallam forbade them from writing his sunnah because he didn't want it to become mixed up with the Qur'an. Right? But then later on, he allowed it when that fear... Uh, was reduced and it, and it wasn't even done in a systematic way it wasn't done as a cohesive uh, communal effort people you know started writing for their own benefit and even at the time of the sahaba right there wasn't a, a conscious effort to gather the sunnah the, the quran was was gathered right because of the death of a lot of the huffaz uh, during the battle of yamama and we know that Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhi, Allah blessed him with that insight and he went to um, uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhi and said, look, we need to do something for the Qur'an because we've lost a lot of huffaz. And then Abu Bakr was, was, was not very um, um, comfortable with the idea saying that how can we actually, um, you know, do something that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa didn't do. Right? But uh, Abu Bakr, uh, Umar kept on uh, going back and revising the matter with uh, Abu Bakr until Allah opened the heart of Abu Bakr. And then Abu Bakr put a panel together and that panel, uh, and from the outset he engaged Zaid ibn Thabit. And even Zaid had uh, issues. He says, how can we do this when the Prophet didn't do it? Until Abu Bakr continued to speak to Zaid. Until Zaid's heart was open and then the process began in earnest. Right? So at the time of the Sahaba, the Quran was gathered. Uh, moving on to the era of the Tabi'een as well. Yes, the, the, you know, the, there were efforts, but not efforts in earnest, as we find in, in the era of the Atba' al-Tabi'een, right? Uh, because, of, uh, because of serious need. So efforts in earnest now began. The Sahaba were spread across the earth, they had, uh, you know, so spread across the region, they had uh, their students with them, right? They had uh, their students with them, so their students heard from them. So now, what would happen is someone would actually travel to different places to meet the students of the Sahaba and take the narrations from them and uh, gather as much of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that they could. This happened in earnest. And then a critical study now began because it would be this person heard it from this person who heard it from this person who heard it from this person. So now they would check that, okay, did, did, did these two people in the chain actually meet? Did they live at the same time? At the same place, could they have actually met? So this is why we say, you know, it has. Uh, we could say a hadith has some weakness in it. Why? Because uh, it could be a case where there's two people in the chain, who are, and 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 the, the narration says that this person heard it from this person, or the chain states that this person heard it from that person, but they never even met. Right? Um, or uh, to be more particular, they couldn't have met, because the scholars also differ in terms of the intensity in, in grading hadith. So some stipulate that they must have met, like Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah, right? Some say that it's enough for us to know that they could have met, like Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi, right? And that's why uh, Sahih al-Bukhari is considered even more uh, authentic because the, 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 the conditions before hadith was placed in was even more stricter. And Imam al-Bukhari would make sure that they actually met, right? He has a precedence to prove. That these two actually met. It's not that they could have met. Right? It's a deep science, but I just want to make it clear to you since we are talking about, you know, a narration versus another narration. So, uh, the narration on the page that I shared um, does have some weakness in it. And as the scholars say, the weakness is there because uh, of, um, 
doubt in the chain, and uh, the two narrators actually um, narrating it. However, however, um, the meaning, the meaning, uh, the meaning in the narration, um, we we find in other narrations as well. Right, so the statements of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or much of the statements uh, in this particular narration, we find in other uh, authentic narrations of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that's why an Imam such as Ibn al-Qayyim would actually place this text uh, in 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 um, um, uh, in the notes. Okay. So, and, and also we must understand that it doesn't mean that a hadith has some weakness that it should be discarded. Sometimes a hadith can have weakness, but it can be used. For example, if it's not to do with halal and haram, it can be used. So the, 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 the ulama, rahimahumullah, they discuss when a weak hadith can be used. As long as it's not extremely weak and fabricated. It's just weak because of issues. So it's a very meticulous science. You know, it doesn't mean that it's weak, that it can't be used. It could be weak... Um, in relativity to uh, what is stronger. But it's strong uh, in a relative way to that which is weaker. Right? So it is a robust system. It is a robust system that even when we say it's weak, sometimes we mean it's weak in comparison to other narrations which are stronger, but not weak in that it can't be used. So I hope that makes sense. So please don't misunderstand me when, when, when we say certain narrations are weak. Yes, some narrations are weak and, and um, you cannot use them. You cannot use them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So um, this is with regards to the day of Jummah. If you open your page 71, uh, from uh, it talks about some of the statements of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would say, Sabbahakum wa masakum. Sabbahakum wa masakum is... Um, uh, these are terminologies used in the Arabic language to warn, to actually warn somebody. So, sabbahakum uh, um, carries the meaning of uh, morning, and masakum carries the meaning of evening. But when it's placed in this particular format and style, sabbahakum wa masakum, then this was a way of the Arabs to warn people, to warn people of an imminent attack by an enemy. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is reported to have said in his khutbah, Sabbahakum wa masakum, and he used to say in his sermon, Amma ba'd. So uh, these are two statements that have come through that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say in his khutbah, and that's why today we say Amma ba'd. But as for Sabbahakum wa masakum, on, on, as you see on page 71, then uh, this is because um, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is using a style to warn the people, to wake them up from slumber. Right? So this is just a means of addressing a people. And he was the leader of the Muslims. And this should also teach us how to speak like a leader. That sometimes you need to, you know, it doesn't mean that you're being harsh if you raise your, your voice a little. As you can see in this narration, it's like as if his eyes would become red. And it's as if he was warning an army. Right? His eyes would become red and he would raise his voice. It doesn't mean, you know, if somebody raises his voice or her voice, that now they're becoming harsh. And now we need to, uh, you know, start becoming depressed about it. No, and, and this is a common trend today, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, um, today you can't tell anybody anything. You tell anybody anything, they overthink it. They have a sleepless night about it. <laughs> right? right? At work, you say something, they have a sleepless night about it. In non-profit work, you say something, they have a sleepless night about it. It's like, you know, you have to tiptoe around everybody. And this is not conducive and this is not healthy. Especially for our brothers and sisters in the da'wah. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. You know, sometimes we're a victim of our own weaknesses. And, and in, in reality, we're always a victim of our own weaknesses. 
right? So, you know, because, you know, uh, we, we volunteer in the da'wah, and I don't, I, as you always hear me say, I don't like to call it volunteering, but investment, but we see it as volunteering anyway, and that's how it's famously known. So we're volunteering in the da'wah, so no, nobody must tell us anything, because we're giving from our time, right? We're giving from our money, we're giving from our sweat, we're giving from our efforts, nobody must tell us anything. And then, okay, nobody must tell you anything. So now describe anything. Now they say anything. If a person just raises his voice a little bit for need, say, no, now this is a problem. No, no, we can't tiptoe over each other. You find a brother here or a sister there, now they're, going, they're, they're having a, a sleepless night. Now they're opening the door to shaitan to step in. Shaitan steps in now. Now we have a problem. Why? Because now this person's lacking motivation to be part of this da'wah effort. And then in this day and age now, what do we do? We want to hold the da'wah effort ransom. We say, no, we'll leave. We'll go to another organization. Yeah, jama'ah, yani, subhanallah. O servants of Allah, this is, uh, uh, you know, when, you, when you're doing da'wah, this is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not serving anyone's ego. This is not serving anyone's whims and fancies. You got to toughen up. You got to toughen up. You know, if, if the earliest generations behave like how we behave, this deen wouldn't have reached us. That's the reality. This deen wouldn't have reached us. Right? You've got to toughen up. The, the, the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that. You know, those who intend Allah, they get shaken up the most. So it becomes proven and manifest. Whether, whether they are sincere when they say they intend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? They are sincere when they say they intend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or are they just there for the show of it? And yes, if you're there for the show of it, when push comes to shove, you will drop out of the race. Right? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was tested. The Anbiya alayhi salatu was salam before him were tested. This is, a, this is a common thing. This is a common thing. They were called names. The, you know, Nuh alayhi salam. Look, he was building the ark. He was building the ark and, and they were making fun of him. He was building the ark, brothers and sisters, and they were making fun of him. Right? He's here worshipping Allah, following a command of Allah. And they're calling him the worst of names and describing him as the worst of people. Imagine if he had skin like the skin we have today. What would happen to us? Khalas. We stop doing what we're doing. And then we actually justify it for the sake of Allah. Right? No, we're stopping what we're doing for the sake of Allah. Why? Because this person is being rude and etc. etc. So, shaitan really attacks us from so many angles. He pull, pulls us into a pool of convulation, honestly. And the reason why I'm highlighting this is through experience. Obviously, you know, given my time in the da'wah and uh, in, in conflict management, and because conflict management is going to happen when, whenever human beings are together, or conflict is going to happen whenever human beings are together. Right, so uh, in the da'wah, I've, in, in in different organizations, sometimes in different travels, I, I you know I'm asked to sort of mediate and arbitrate in in a da'wah effort that I'm not even part of, to help a situation move forward. And when you take things back to the basics, you find it's it's a very petty situation. Yes, I'm not saying I'm not saying that you know you're not going to get uh, quote unquote dead wood in some of the efforts of some of the people. Right. Um, in the da'wah efforts. But we must remember, da'wah is da'wah at the end of the day. Even those who can't pull their weight, it doesn't mean we fire them like the corporate world does. We just fire people. That's the corporate world. We in da'wah. Right? We in da'wah. 
um, it, it, there has to be a level of ethics. There has to be a level of da'wah as well. You've got to do da'wah to your own people. Right? So if you find them willing but not able, then da'wah is making them able, is, is, is mentoring them, is, is helping them. That's da'wah. That's also da'wah. So you don't say, well, this person's dead wood, or not pulling up his or her weight, so khalas, now uh, kick them out of the system. No, 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 no. You don't kick anyone out of da'wah. <laughs> right? I mean, you can find an alternative place for them. Yes. You can reduce their workload, keep them to the basics, the minimum. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but don't create a situation whereby you, 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 you do what I call da'wah burning. Da'wah burning. Now this we can't do, my dear brothers and sisters. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you look at his life, he did every he he, he was he was so genuine in, 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 in this description that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him and in this job role that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put him in in this uh, effort, right? That no one got da'wah burnt. In fact, every time um, people wanted to do more. People wanted to do more. Now, look, I'm not saying, you know, we're living in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Sahaba, but I am saying that it shouldn't be that, you know, it, it shouldn't be that because we're not living in their time that we can't take inspiration from that time. This is another extreme today. When you tell people things, they say, no, we're not living in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You know, I'm not from the Sahaba and our leadership is not the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I mean, this is quite condescending. Of course, the leadership is not the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And of course, you're not from the Sahaba. So that means we must all give and take and be good to each other and try our best. That's what it means. So coming back to the original point, we are weaknesses of our we are victims of our own weaknesses. Right? It doesn't mean if somebody raises their voice that now we should take offense. Sometimes there's a need, it's a means of motivation, it's part of leadership. The Prophet Wasallam's eyes would swell and um, uh, you know, he's, he, uh, he, he, would, he would speak to the people from the mimbar as if he was addressing an army, telling them, I'm warning you against imminent attack. Yes, imminent attack of shaitan, imminent attack of your, of your hawa, of your desires, of your whims, of your fancies. We all need to be wary of it, right? And someone might say, no, why, why is he scolding me? No, he should tell me nicely, he should, you know, rub my back, and he, he should pat my back, and say, you know, my dearest brother, my... No, we can't be so, so petty, my dear brothers and sisters. Right? We need to respect context, we need to respect situations, we need to respect circumstances, and we need to apply ourselves. Right? If, if Allah blesses us with people who are trying to raise our standards, we should be ready to raise our standards. And be ready to accept them. And be ready to close the door to shaitan from putting evil thoughts in our minds. And by the way, this goes against the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. When you doubt what your parents tell you, when you doubt what your husband tells you, when you doubt what your wife tells you, when you doubt what your, your children tell you, when you, 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 you take the worst uh, of the two scenarios. Somebody advises you, you say, no, they, they, they just attack me. No, they mean that somebody says, you know, uh, it's like somebody says, you know, brother, it's good to take a bath on Jum'ah, it's from the sunnah. Say, no. Yeah, this person saying, I'm smelling. <laughs> right? Uh, I'm having a chat with you all today, by the way. Right? Because obviously, we're trying to take inspiration from, uh, you know, just to, to, to bring some context in the 21st century from that which we uh, read from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So today, you tell someone, brother, it's sunnah to bath on, on a Friday. He'll say, no, this person says, I smell. Yeah, brother, he's not saying you smell. He's telling you that it's sunnah to bath on a Friday. That's what he said. So, you know, this whole concept of even putting double meanings to what people think, say, 
that no, he must be thinking like this, or he must be doing like this. This, brothers and sisters, is a waste of our time, honestly. And uh, it, it's, it's from the ploys and plots of shaitan to busy ourselves with ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, the Prophet wasallam said, make excuses for your brother, even if it's a hundred excuses. Right? So, uh, this is, 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 is very important. This is very important. And, you know, I, I, Wallahi, we live in convoluted times, honestly. Because today you find everybody just mixing and matching. You know, when you go into the shop, it's mix and match. Today we mix and match. Right? Today if somebody does this, it means he's done that. No, it doesn't mean that. You know? For example, let, let me explain to you another extreme. Today if you're working in a da'wah organization, and the reason why I'm citing da'wah is because, mashallah, inshallah most of you are from those efforts. Today if you're working in a da'wah organization, and you take somebody to task, they'll say, no, you must have good thoughts in me. So now they use this. Now when it suits you, you start saying the Prophet ﷺ said you should have good thoughts. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ said have good thoughts. But having good thoughts doesn't mean we cannot take each other to task regarding certain things we need to implement and certain things we have to achieve. That's how progress happens. Right? So this doesn't mean that. Raising my voice doesn't mean scolding. Being firm doesn't mean I'm being harsh. It doesn't. Right, so we got to get on. You know, we got to uh, mature ourselves, brothers and sisters. And, and I say mature because I think it's just a lack of maturity. It's a lack of maturity. When someone's firm, we we misconstrue for harshness. Uh, when someone says this, we misconstrue for something else. When someone takes us to task, we misconstrue for them having bad thoughts in us. Now, this is a lack of maturity. The Prophet ﷺ took the Sahaba to task. Right, uh, he told Wahshi. Uh, that, you know, if you could stay away from me, because when I see you, I remember Hamza, my uncle, and it makes me sad. That doesn't mean that the Prophet ﷺ hates the Islam of Wahshi. No. It doesn't mean when Wahshi came and said, I want to accept Islam, that the Prophet ﷺ said, no, you're gonna, you should go in the fire because of you striking a spear through my uncle. During Uhud, the hardest day of my, one of the hardest days of my life. No. He accepted Islam, he was nice to you, but he says, look, if you could just stay at the back a little bit, because when I see you, that does that mean that the Prophet hates Wahshi? No. He's saying, he's saying that when I see you, I'm a human being. I, uh, I remember Hamza. It's because I remember Hamza I'm saying this, and that makes me sad. You see? So, you know, perspective, my dear brothers and sisters. Perspectives. Perspective. We love people to have perspective with us, but we refuse to have perspective with other people. This is a problem. So we need to mature up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So this whole discussion stemmed from how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa would address uh, the companions with, um, you know, uh, appropriately. After Jumu'ah then we come to Salat al-Eid. And we read much uh, about Salat al-Eid. And um, very quickly, my dear brothers and sisters, let's try and... and um, go through the etiquettes of uh, the day of Eid. So from the etiquettes of the day of Eid is firstly uh, to do ghusl before going out to the prayer. This was a practice of the Prophet ﷺ as we find in um, the narration of Abdullah ibn Umar anhuma that the Prophet ﷺ used to do ghusl on the day of uh, Eid al-Fitr before going out to the prayer place in the morning. Right, so the Prophet ﷺ, it was always his sunnah to smell good, to look good, to dress well, to, you know, be clean. And this is a special day. And Imam Nawawi rahimahullah says that the Muslims were, you know, there's a unanimously agreed, this is a matter agreed upon, that it's mustahab to do a ghusl on, uh, on, on, on the morning of Eid. And also if we look at the Jumu'ah prayer, we find that from the sunnah is to do ghusl as well. 
And uh, this conforms to the overall values of the Sharia. Why? Because uh, there's going to be a big gathering. And um, no Muslim should harm the other person in their look, in their smell even. So even, you know, in how people see you, if you have the ability for, for people's eyes to become cool um, and serene when they see you, you need to dress like that. Now, I'm not saying sisters, you need to make up and, you know, <laughs> go in front of the males, right? Saying that, no, you know, we need to make the people's eyes cool. Yes, of course, uh, <laughs> we need to do that. But no, we, we're talking about, you know, our brothers when they go out to the masjid. Right, so uh, don't don't mistake me, uh, brothers and sisters. Right, um, and as, as I said, we're having a chat, by the way. So feel free to also, uh, you know, smile. Um, sometimes it's it's difficult when you're speaking to a, a blank screen; you don't see any people or human emotion. Uh, may Allah bless you all. So, um, you know, you you're going to a big gathering, like so on Jumu'ah, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam highlights ghusl. This doesn't mean ghusl and bathing shouldn't be done on other days, but because Jumu'ah, uh, because uh, Jumu'ah entails a big gathering, it's it's stressed. The same thing with the day of Eid, and this is a consensus between the scholars. Also, from um, the etiquettes of uh, the two Eids is to eat before going out to pray. Um, when going, uh, when when going for the Eid al-Fitr al-Salah, so so the Eid after Ramadan, the the Eid after Ramadan, or straight after Ramadan. So the, it's Sunnah to eat. Why? Because now we, we know fasting on the day of Eid is impermissible. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam Sunnah, as explained by some of the commentators, was to eat so that the day has begun ASAP immediately uh, with a show of gratitude. Um, in that a person is not fasting today. And this is, you, you're showing gratitude because you, you're eating and this is a blessing from Allah. So you're rushing to the blessing. That Allah has given you a day to eat, you immediately eat, you're rushing. Instead of, you know, you, you're showing that subhanAllah you have realized how uh, much of a blessing food is. Right? So this is from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, And from the sunnah of, of, of the, the uh, Eid al-Adha, which is the Eid immediately after Arafah, um, in the days of Hajj, then the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam was to go out to the Eid prayer and to eat after. Um, so this was the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam um, on, on, on the two Eids. Now remember, Eid al-Adha is different to Eid al-Fitr, because Eid al-Adha, you're not practicing compulsory fasts before uh, the Eid. And, um, you know, one of the wisdoms also is, is, is that if you do eat after the Eid prayer and after you sacrifice and cook, then you're eating from the sacrifice that you just did for the sake of Allah. And that's a blessed meal because, uh, you know, you actually slaughtered because Allah loves that you slaughter. And you slaughter for the sake of Allah. And in that slaughter is a show of Tawheed. Because before... The, 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 the Quraysh and the idolaters, they used to slaughter as well, but they used to slaughter for their idols. So, uh, you know, uh, showing Tawheed is from the greatest ibadat. Right? From the greatest ibadat. Right? And um, now you're eating from that show of Tawheed. So, it's the most appropriate first meal to have on the day of Eid. And the scholars have, uh, many scholars have deduced from this that the sacrifice must happen after the Eid prayer. 
And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ And uh, the scholars of, or some of the scholars of tafsir have commentated on this particular ayah, and they say, Allah says, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ This refers to Eid al-Adha, وَنْحَرْ And then the sacrifice that happens after Eid al-Adha. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it in order. As per the, you know, as, as also was the practice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's why some scholars have said that if the sacrifice happens before the Eid prayer, you have to redo the sacrifice. And this is important for those brothers and sisters who uh, sacrifice outside of the country. Right, so you send your money across to the Indian subcontinent or to Africa, to Sudan or other countries uh, for the sacrifice. You should advise them to sacrifice it on the second day of Eid perhaps, to be safe. In case, in case your day of Eid will come before their day of Eid. And this can happen. This can happen. Right? Sometimes, you know, a moon is not seen in a place and so on and so forth. So what happens is it's, it's the day of Eid for you, but it's not the day of Eid for them. So their sacrifice is only going to be tomorrow and you doing Eid today. Right? So uh, we need, you, you need to just take, take note of this. This is just a, a side fiqhi point for you, you to take note of. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. Um, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, he says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used, uh, he never used to go out on the morning of Eid al-Fitr until he had eaten some dates of which he would eat an odd number. And this is in Sahih al-Bukhari. So also from the sunnah, sunnah of, of, of the day of Eid al-Fitr is when you eat, eat an odd number, one or three. The, the norm of the Prophet wasallam was three. And it is mustahab to eat obviously before going out. It's not compulsory. It's not going to affect the quality of your Eid Salah or, 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 or your day of Eid. Uh, meaning it's not going to uh, you know, invalidate your day of Eid. No, but it's definitely mustahab. It's going to add to the beauty of your day of Eid. Um, so it's mustahab to eat before going out. Um, to emphasize that it is forbidden to fast on this day as we have explained alhamd. Imam Ibn Hajar rahmatullahi alayhi suggests that the reason for that was um, to firstly as we said one of the wisdoms was to uh, show how we value food as a virtue from Allah and one of the other reasons was so that we can quickly dispel any thought of fasting happening on the day of Eid. And as we know brothers and sisters fasting on the day of Eid is haram, it's forbidden even for those who have kafara fasts, right? Expiation fast. So let's say a person has to fast um, for two months, for example. Right? Um, they have to fast for two months consecutively with no breaks. If the day of Eid comes, they're allowed to have a break. And that won't affect the consecutive nature of their fasts. And let me not say they're allowed to have a break. We say they must have a break because it's not, it's not allowed to fast on the days of Eid and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Also from the, um, the, the practices on the day of Eid is to announce the takbir. And this is from the greatest sunnah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَلِتُكْمِنُ الْعِدَّةَ وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Allah says, وَلِتُكْمِنُ الْعِدَّةَ After he speaks about um, the ayat of fasting, Allah says, وَلِتُكْمِنُ الْعِدَّةَ So you must complete the days. وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ And you, then you, you announce the takbir, this takbir of Ibrahim alayhi salam, which we, we discussed in earlier episodes of Zad. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Right? وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that this is a means of shukr, a means of thanks, a means of gratitude. Right? Um, so the takbir must happen. 
And um, in many communities, we, we, we find that this sunnah uh, is lacking. So this is something for us to take into consideration, my dear brothers and sisters, and announce it a bit loud so other people also can take inspiration and learn and engage the practice. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you uh, as well. You know, because whoever teaches someone, someone good, and that someone does it, then Allah rewards you uh, the same. And uh, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, and we know how he used to love to follow the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He used to say this takbir out loud on the day of, of Eid al-Fitr until the imam came out to lead the prayers. And for example, in Saudi Arabia, you hear the takbir being played on the loudspeakers until the imam comes and um, begins the salah, because we know on the day of Eid we have the salah before the khutbah, unlike the day of Jumu'ah, whereby we have the khutbah before the salah. So this is just from the differences between Eid and the day of uh, Jumu'ah. Um, now with regards to the takbir, there are different um, narrations regarding the takbir. And uh, all these narrations are okay. So sometimes we say we, we find a slight different, slightly different variations between a person doing takbir and another. This is fine. This is fine. I just want to highlight it because sometimes we find people, uh, you know, uh, correcting other people when there's no need to correct anything. Or what they're saying is also from the Sunnah of the Prophet And also we discussed in previous episodes the importance of having diversity in our dhikr, so that our dhikr or, or our worship or our dua uh, doesn't become a norm, whereby it becomes a subconscious action of the body without any presence of the heart and mind. So the way to um, combat your worship becoming a subconscious kind of uh, activity is by being diverse, right? Because when you're diverse, now you're thinking. Right? So, for example, if a person always reads wala uh, asr in his salah, and inna atinaka al-kawthar in his salah or her salah, uh, then what will happen is you'll end up sometimes praying salah and subconsciously. You'll, you'll float through the salah not even knowing, not even remembering that you, you read this. And this is a fact, my dear brothers and sisters. This is human nature, right? So be diverse. And the Prophet wasallam was diverse in, 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 in many of his adhkar. Right? Even the adhkar of the morning and the evening, we have different reports of different things that were said by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Asbahna wa asbaha al-mulku lillahi rabbil alameen. Asbahna wa asbaha al-mulku lillahi walhamdulillah. La ilaha illa Allah. Allahumma inni as'aluka khayra ma fi hadha al-yawm. Wa khayra ma ba'da. Wa a'udhu bika min sharri hadha al-yawm. Wa sharri ma ba'da. Allahumma inni as'aluka khayra ma fi hadha al-yawm. Fathahu wa nasrahu wa nurahu wa barakatahu wa hudahu. Right? Look, these are three variations. Three variations of, of that dua, asbahna wa asbaha al-mulku lillah. Right? So we see this time and time again, whoever does a cursory study of the duas of the Prophet wasallam, time and time again you'll, you'll come to realize this, that he was very diverse and teaching us to be uh, diverse. Sometimes he would teach us to seek refuge in Allah by saying, A'udhu bi kalimatillahi tamati min sharri ma khalaq. In other times he would tell us, seek refuge in Allah by saying, Bismillahi alladhi la yadurru ma'asmihi shay'un fil ardi wa la fil sama wa huwa samiul alim. To seek protection from black magic and uh, an evil eye and so on and so forth, right? Even istighfar, there's different types of istighfar. And then from the best of istighfar, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant. Khalaqtani wa ana abduk until the end of the dua. So we see even in istighfar, there's a diversity, right? Um, uh, to such an extent that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa highlights the best istighfar. Even sending salutations upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Right? We see diversity. Um, and, you know, 
uh, you know, and we've discussed this even in the earlier episodes of Provisions for the Hereafter when we looked at the Prophet Sallallahu guidance in terms of his dua in his ruku' and his sujood and so on and so forth. So diversity is important and we should worship Allah by memorizing as many invocations or, or supplications, however you want to call it, um, as we can. That's what we need to do. So that we can engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one action in different ways. In different ways. Right? And, and, and we spoke about you know, the, the, the tangible benefits from salah and, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us diverse ability to worship Him in a salah. That don't worship Allah only standing or only bowing or only prostrating or only sitting and so on and so forth. It's, it's a diverse process. Some religions we see them, they only worship Allah by standing. Right? Some by sitting. We are in Islam, alhamdulillah, you know, it's, it's subhanAllah so amazing. You know, you, you don't have an opportunity to fall off to sleep. Right? Although subhanAllah, some people actually fall off to sleep in their salah, Allah al-musta'an. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and, and inspire us to become better. Ameen. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. So um, uh, this is also from the etiquettes of the day of Eid. Also from the etiquettes, my dear brothers and sisters, is offering congratulations. Offering Congratulations, right? So um, we, you know, we 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 say, "Taqabbal Allahu minna wa minkum." May Allah accept our good deeds from you know. Uh, Eid Mubarak is another expression. You know, um, yeah. whatever you say that shows you congratulating a person on the day. You know, even if you send an Eid card uh, or a WhatsApp message, a Telegram message, a SMS message, an email, uh, Eid greetings. Uh, have a blessed Eid, and so on and so forth. This is this is fine. This is fine, and this is from the etiquettes of the day of Eid. Uh, this is from you know this is from the time of the Sahaba radiAllahu anhum And why not? This is a day of happiness. It's a day of happiness, right? And we con- we congratulate each other for witnessing this day. Because remember, the Muslims' day of Eid is not a it's a day of celebration, but the celebration is the worship of Allah. That's how amazing it is. That Allah is showering upon the people at the Eid Musalla blessings, subhanAllah. Rewards are coming from the sky and landing on, 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 on a people. Why shouldn't we congratulate each other? So this is important, especially this is substantial. Uh, this is a substantial greeting for a substantial day. right? We find the non-Muslims, they, they greet each other and congratulate each other on a day of no substance. When we, when we talk about Christmas, for example, what's the establishment about... Uh, and, and it's appropriate to speak about it now because, you know, it, we're in December and just yesterday was December the 25th. Right? So, everyone is saying Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. They're saying Merry Christmas, but they probably haven't worshipped Allah or even raised their hands for Allah knows how long. But on the, you know, on the day of Christmas, they're saying Merry Christmas. Right? And without us getting into the details of when Isa alayhi salam was born and so on and so forth. And the, and the whole issue of, of celebrating birthdays in the first place. You know, this year is a strange year as well. Because this year you have um, the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, the birthday or, or approximate birth date of the Prophet ﷺ, coincide uh, in the same month. In fact, within a few days of what the Christians say is the birth date of uh, Isa ﷺ. Alright? Alright? <laughs> Right, so um, you know, there's there's a lot of discussion on social media. I'm getting a lot of messages uh, about this particular matter, about the Molid and and so on and so forth. Um, uh, you know, 
so Muslims really are tested even when there's no need to be tested. You know, this is subhanAllah, this is the state the ummah is in right now. You know, that we are actually becoming confused about things that we don't even need to be confused about. Honestly, yesterday a question was sent to me. And I'm not joking. Laugh if you want, but I'm not joking. A question was sent to me saying, Sheikh, what is the ruling of Salah behind a Santa who has a beard? <laughs> right? This, this is the question that came to me. Right? So, yeah, and he, uh, I mean, look, uh, we're not trying to be judgmental on the question or the circumstance. I don't know the, the circumstance, was the, you know, but let, let's say a person was actually behaving as a Santa, uh, celebrating the day of Eid and now it was Salah time and he was going to pray. Celebrating the day of, of, of Christmas. And now it was Salah time and he was going to lead the Muslims in prayer. Right? This, these, are, these are circumstances. These are happenings. The Ummah is, is tested with things that don't have to be tested about. What I'm trying to say is common sense is no more common. Things which you never imagined happen now. Really. Where, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, Abdul Mateen just a few days ago was saying, Sheikh, what does Kumbaya mean? Right, Abdul Mateen? Because Abdul Mateen and I had a discussion about, you know, this, this Kumbaya moments coming into the Muslim Ummah. Everyone wants to, yeah, and he, you know, we all want to live happy, happy, no rules. We should live like we're in Jannah when we're not even in Jannah. You know, everything should go. Every belief system should go. Right should be wrong and wrong should be right. And nobody should have an issue with it. This is what we mean by, by you know, uh, living in a kumbaya. I, I hope that helps, Abdul Mateen. I hope you got the, the definition now. So, um, uh, I think somebody's microphone switched on, by the way. So, you know, what, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is the Ummah is doing stuff that no one would, would dream of before. So questions come about, you know, naturally. Naturally. Right? So, um, subhanAllah, how did we digress into this particular discussion? But nonetheless, what we're saying, brothers and sisters, we're talking about congratulating each other. Yes. So, you know, even now, for example, one of the biggest questions on, 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 uh, on the Muslim mind now is the ruling of saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Can we say Merry Christmas to other people? Some people say, no, Sheikh, you know, they say to us Eid Mubarak. Right? And that doesn't make them Muslim. So can we say Merry Christmas to them? Or well, that shouldn't be, have an issue in terms of our Iman. Look, um, th- 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 that's true. We shouldn't be judging people's Iman for saying Merry Christmas. But we say that, look, um, at the end of the day, we must recognize that uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the system or the day um, is not void of what they call Jesus Christ and Christ dying for their sins and Christ being the Savior and Christ being God and so on and so forth. Right? So if somebody says Merry Christmas and, and, and you're living in a Muslim minority, then an appropriate, an appropriate answer to them would be, may God bless you. And you intend guidance. Right? Why would you, why, you know, we always say we need to be the best to people. How is a Muslim, how can a Muslim be the best to a non-Muslim? By making dua for their guidance. Not by uh, celebrating misguidance with them or acknowledging their misguidance and endorsing their misguidance, right? So, uh, look, I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that uh, you know we, we we should become tricky and 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 have hypocrisy. No, I'm saying say may God bless you and be genuine. This is you genuinely wanting goodness for this person uh, who 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 is showing excitement. 
And this is how we are as Muslims. As Muslims, we are a people who want good for the ummah, the believing ummah and the disbelieving ummah. We want goodness for them. Right? So, uh, you know, when somebody tells me, Sheikh, why can't I say uh, Merry Christmas even though I don't believe in it? I tell them, you can't say it because this is not, this is not from excellence. <laughs> it's not from excellence. If you really want to think about it, you know, outside of, of the theological realm of discussion, then uh, this is not from you being excellent with another human being. If you want to be excellent with another human being, you make dua for them. That's why you shouldn't say Merry Christmas. Rather, you should say, Allah. Well, may Allah bless you. And you intend by that, may Allah bless you with guidance. Right? So this is, this is not from you being hypocritical with them. This is from you, uh, one, from you being a muhsin. From you being a muhsin. Right? So uh, again, sometimes what happens is shaitan throws us into a maze. And we think that, no, you know, we're living in difficult times and we're weak and stuff. So we don't mean, they say Eid Mubarak to us. Why don't we just say Merry Christmas to them? We say, look, um, don't justify uh, mediocrity. As a Muslim, excellence is the minimum requirement. And excellence should be your motto throughout every dealing in your life. Even when you deal with a person who says Merry Christmas to you. If you're going to be excellent, say, may God bless you. Right? That way you take yourself out of the whole discussion of whether it's allowed to say Merry Christmas or not. And also you are, you're, you're a true champion of the people and of the community. That's what it is. So, you know, we need a paradigm shift, brothers and sisters. You know, so, you know because at the end of the day, even if we take the discussion out of the theological realm, you're not actually being excellent to somebody else telling them Merry Christmas. Rather, you're being excellent to them when you say, May God bless you. And you intend by it uh, guidance. But anyway, this discussion is happening because we're talking about expressing congratulations. Uh, on the day of Eid, and this is definitely a permissible matter um, in Islam. Also, from the from the etiquettes of the day of Eid, brothers and sisters, is to adorn oneself with the best of clothing, uh, with the best of smells uh, for the males, uh, and also for the females, as long as they're not going to go out into the presence of males, um, then... Uh, we should do so for the Prophet wasallam did so, and the Sahaba after him did so as well. Uh, the son of Ibn Umar anhuma, he states that his father Umar took a brocade cloak that was for sale in the market and brought it to the Messenger wasallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, buy this and adorn yourself with it for Eid and for receiving the delegations. And the Messenger of Allah wasallam said to him, rather this is the dress of the one who has no share of or pi- of piety or reward for the uh, the, uh, the the hereafter. Now, th- don't don't be confused by the narration because the Prophet wasallam agreed with Umar on the idea of adorning oneself. However, he just denounced him choosing a cloak, and the reason why he denounced him for choosing that cloak was because it was made of silk. So the scholars, rahmatullahi alayhim, they explained that he wasn't, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam never denounced adorning yourself. Rather, he denounced adorning yourself with haram, like wearing uh, silk. Right? And we learn from this, my dear brothers and sisters, that it doesn't mean that it's Eid day, that now haram becomes halal. And this is important. Right? Uh, some people, you know, subhanAllah, they, they, uh, and I won't, and this is not a joke as well. This is not a joke. You can laugh, but this is true. In one city in the world, today, you find on the day of Eid, women kissing men who are not even related. They come out of the masjid and they hug each other and they kiss each other as how the non-Muslims meet. And when I said, where did this practice come from? They said, no, it's, it's Eid day, ya Sheikh. 
الله المستعان is Eid day يعني سبحان الله يعني on Eid يعني حلال became حرام became حلال no brothers and sisters so um, again just uh, understand that uh, this narration here is a critical narration in teaching us that it doesn't mean that it's the day of Eid that haram is going to become halal. Silk is forbidden for a male to wear. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not wear it. He did not wear it saying, okay, it's Eid, khalas, let's, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's practice, the, you know, the, the, today the ruling is, is um, uh, suspended. No, brothers and sisters, right? So we, we learn from this that there should be no haram done on Eid. And that's why even in celebrating Eid, it shouldn't be that now we start mixing Right, women who are not in hijab are in front of men. We sit on the same dining room table or lunch time, t- or lunch table or breakfast table, and everybody is laughing and sharing jokes and teasing each other. No, this is these are from the cultures which the Sharia came to abrogate because the Sharia came to preach modesty. Right, so you find somebody else's wife dressed up, uh, in, you know, so dressed up with her makeup and uh, her perfume and her special expensive dress, and the hair is curled, and however they do it, and she's sitting in front of somebody else's husband and uh, freely engaging in in an act. Why? Because no, this is my brother-in-law, or this is my cousin, and this is Eid day, and Eid day is family day, and family day means yalla, kumbaya, yalla. <laughs> Abdul Mateen. See, kumbaya is a, is a famous word of the time, Abdul Mateen. Um, I'm, I'm just saying it because uh, we have Abdul Mateen in class and you can see the big smile he's given us. Walillahi alhamd. May Allah keep you smiling, Abdul Mateen. Ameen. So, we must understand, my dear brothers and sisters, that we must look after the Sharia on the day of Eid. You can't have a day of Eid which becomes uh, a day of your Jahannam becoming, uh, you know, uh, better prepared for you, Allah Musta'an. We need to live our life in this world in a way that we better prepare our paradise to receive us. So this is very, very important, my dear brothers and sisters. It's very important. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us. Ameen. Um, Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu he states that um, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a cloak which he would wear on the two Eids and on Friday. Right? So this teach this uh, and, and this is how the scholars look at the different reports and how they come up with conclusions. And this is how they've understood that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam wasn't rebuking Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu uh, for telling him to or, or, or requesting that he be, he adorns himself on the day of Eid because at the end of the day, the Prophet ﷺ did have a sunnah of wearing special clothing on the day of Eid. Um, also from the etiquettes of Eid, as we know, or as we have heard, is going to the Eid prayer via one route and coming back via another route. And the scholars say that the reason for this, or one of the wisdoms behind this, um, is so that uh, much of the earth will um, bear witness to our piety on the day of Qiyamah. When you go to the masjid, the earth becomes a witness to it. So if you use different paths, then more parts of the earth become a witness for you on the day of Qiyamah. And that's why you should try and adopt this even when you go to the masjid for any other prayer. Try and, you know, depending on your time and ability, try and, and, and uh, vary the way you get there. So much of the earth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be a witness to your piety on the day of Qiyamah. And wallahi, this life is all about 
you know, um, having a better day of Qiyamah. This life is all about having a better time in the grave. This life is all about having a better portion of paradise. Right, so um, this is from the, this is an amazing uh, practice of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Some of the scholars said that you know changing routes, going and coming, uh, also was in order to manifest the symbols of Islam on both routes, or to manifest the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa taala, uh, which would entail da'wah to uh, the non-Muslims living in that in that area. Right? So no doubt, you know, if you go to Eid using a particular path, you're going to meet poor people that you won't meet on the way back if you take another path. So this gives you a chance to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more. Also, um, going to the masjid will allow people who are not Muslims to see you going to the masjid. And coming back via another path will allow other uh, non-Muslims to see you that uh, didn't see you when you were going to the masjid. So it becomes a means of da'wah as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So these are some of the etiquettes, brothers and sisters, from the, from, from the days of Eid. Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed us to complete um, you know, the days of Eid uh, of uh, the last uh, Islamic calendar Hajj was not so long ago. And look, we're already in the Rabi'ul Awwal. Just now we were talking about the first 10 days of the Hijjah. Right, and now we're discussing, you know, matters pertaining to the birthday of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Because we in Rabiul Awwal, and forget about that, we we almost in the middle of Rabiul Awwal, which means Ramadan is just around the corner. The next Eid is coming, and this is how life is, wallahi, brothers and sisters. The days fly, the days fly. They flying like Subhanallah, how the clouds fly, and you can remember what you did two Fridays ago as if it was yesterday, Friday. Honestly. That's how fresh, that's how fresh the events from two weeks ago are in our mind. Right? Um, it's as if it was yesterday. It's as if it was yesterday. And this is from the minor signs of the day of Qiyamah, no doubt. Because the Prophet said, zaman. He spoke about the coming together of time. The coming together of, of time. And this is the coming together of time, where you don't feel your minutes. An hour goes like... You know, 20 minutes. Honestly, right now we've been in, in our Zad class for an hour. And honestly, I feel like it's 20 minutes. I'm sure you feel the same. And that's why the only thing we can do to help ourselves is ensure that we revive every second to the best of our ability. And I, and I use the word revive. I don't use the word spend. The way of, 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 the, of, of other systems is to spend time doing things. No, a Muslim doesn't spend time doing things. A Muslim invests time doing things. How? By reviving time. Reviving seconds. It's all about investment. It's not about spending. Uh, brothers and sisters, unless you're spending it for the sake of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, uh, knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows uh, best. Okay, so if we just open our Zad books again, and we go uh, through the chapter of Eid, which starts on page 73, uh, it says that the Prophet sallallahu would go out using an anazah. And an anazah refers to a small stick that the Prophet sallallahu would carry. Right? And uh, he would place this anazah in the ground and then pray in front of it so it would act as a sutra. And a sutra is, is like a blockage that you place in front of you when you pray so that people don't walk in front of you. So I just wanted to make that point clear in case uh, it was missed when we went uh, to, or, or when we discussed the ruling. One of the other things, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, regarding 
The day of Eid is, as you can see from your notes, is that the Prophet ﷺ went to a plain land, uh, or what we know as an Eidgah, right? Which is a, a land with no buildings around it. So it is to, you know, and the Muslims would gather there and pray this Eid Salah. So um, this is from the Sunnah. However, if you live in countries whereby, you know, there's a lot of rain and soft sand and so on and so forth, and it's more practical to be in the masjid, then this is fine. Then this is fine. Then if we go to page 76, we have the Salah of the Eclipse. Um, and we learn from this prayer um, how Rasulullah would engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every circumstance. In every circumstance, he would engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today, we, we witness world phenomenons, you know, uh, subhanallah, as if it's, uh, uh, yes, it's a, it's a matter of interest, but the last thing we remember when a world phenomenon happens is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, ask yourself the last time you saw an earthquake and, 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 and you falling into dua begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from that. Or you saw an accident. Or a hurricane. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, forget about dua, he would engage Allah in salah. He would engage Allah in salah. This is the Muslim ummah, my dear brothers and sisters. We are beneficial to everyone around us. When was the last time you raised your hands and asked Allah for rain? The Prophet would engage Allah for rain in dedicated dua and dedicated salah. Right? And we need to, we need to use this. You know when I told you uh, once upon a time that studying fiqh is um, iman boosting. It's iman boosting when you study fiqh. If you study it the right way and ponder. I mean, it's one way to read that, okay, when it rained, this is what the Prophet ﷺ did, and this is how he, how he did it. But it's another thing to ask yourself, why did Allah establish this? And why is this the way of the Prophet ﷺ? This is where the development process begins. When you dive into purpose, and you understand why. You don't look at things at face value. Right? You don't look at things at face value. We're talking about purpose, my dear brothers and sisters. Purpose. Right, so why did the Prophet do? He engages Allah and in the best way that Allah loves to be engaged and that is Salah. Today we have exams, the last thing we do, forget about, you know, making two units of prayer, asking Allah to assist us. We don't even make dua. In fact, we tell everybody else to make dua. Right? A world, we, we can see the world situation today. How many of us engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dua? So, um, we need to take from these chapters of, uh, related to how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to engage Allah during difficulty, um, how we need to develop ourselves and engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially during difficulty. This doesn't mean we only know Allah during difficulty, no. But especially during difficulty. We have a conference that we're running. There's a course that's happening at the weekend. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's different things happen. You know, uh, for example, we 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 have uh, there's a da'wah effort happening at the weekend. Engage Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in du'a. Engage Him in your salah, in your sujood. Ask Allah, beg from Allah in your tashahud, beg from Allah. Right? This should be our way. Shouldn't be that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the last thing you think about. Right? And, um, you know, uh, once I, and, and it happens, just to show you a practical example of how sometimes we become, we fall into oblivion. Once, um, 
uh, during uh, Hajj, one of the groups, uh, the, the, you know, you, Hajj is difficult. Uh, the group leads, they have extreme difficulty as well. They have to look after passports, look after transport, look after hotel matters, look after this, look after that. So uh, something happened, something didn't go in a partic- go right. And a person was, was stressed out, stressed out, uh, one of the group heads, stressed out about matters. And um, there was a talk going on. So the, the, uh, the, the, the suggestion was, look, let's go to um, the talk and get some guidance. And the person said, no, you know, I have so many things to do. I have this, I have this, I have that, I have that, I have this issue, I have that issue. And the reality was, you know, even with all these issues, right, it could have been done tomorrow. In fact, if you did it now, you probably wouldn't have gotten anyway. Right? So uh, it was said to the person that, look, the first person, the first being that you need to engage when you go through difficulties, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's better for you to come to this talk and worship Allah through listen, through seeking knowledge, right? And making dua to Allah and then go and deal with whatever uh, issues that you have. Especially since, you know, you running around now is not going to create much benefit. Right? Does that make sense, brothers and sisters? I'm just trying to explain a, pra- a practical or, or situation, a, a real situation that happened. For us to benchmark our circumstances against. That sometimes we get caught, we, we get caught up in process that we forget reality. We forget reality. So, you know, it was said to this person, come for the talk. Then go and meet this person and that person and try and sort this out and that, that out at a time also when it's more conducive to do so. So, re- the first thing you need to do now is remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and become attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Today when we have exams, we have exams, the first thing I need to study. No, the first thing is you need to make dua. And ask Allah to bless you to study and to make your study process well. Right? The first thing today when we have an issue, we're looking at our contacts, our networks of people. No, the first thing is you have to engage Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At the end of the day, you can study as hard as you want and you can phone as many people as you want. If Allah doesn't inspire assistance in your case, you won't be assisted. So Allah shouldn't be the last thing we, we go to, my dear brothers and sisters. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa teaches us this in an abstract way from teaching us about Salatul Istisqa and teaching us about Salatul Kusuf and Salatul Khusuf and so on and so forth, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now, um, on page 81, uh, there's the narration that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa supplicated facing towards the Qibla and the people did likewise. Then he descended and led them in two units of prayer and uh, without an adhan and he would read Surah Al-A'la and Surah Al-Ghashiyah in, sec- in the second unit of prayer. Uh, uh, this hadith has some weakness in it. I'm just citing it for you as an amana and a trust. However, it is a, use, it is a hadith which the scholars have allowed to be used because its weakness is not of... Uh, a severe nature, number one. And number two, the hadith is not related to halal and haram. And that's why we find scholars, um, uh, or we find the imams reciting these two uh, surahs, and that is fine. On page 82, there's another narration, the, the, the narration of um, the marabid, right? Where the Prophet wasallam said, Allahumma sqina hatta yaquma abu lubaba uriyanan, fayasudda tha'laba mirbadihi bi'izarihi. Uh, oh Allah, give us water until Abu Lubaba stands naked and closes up the hole in his mirbad with his izar. Uh, this hadith, my dear brothers and sisters, is, is, is weak. Um, 
And it actually goes against that established in stronger narrations, such as the importance of covering your awrah. Right? So it's important to cover your awrah. So why would Rasulullah make a dua uh, and, and in that dua say until this person stands up and his awrah, his, he, the, the, the part of his body which needs to be covered becomes exposed. It's compulsory to cover your awrah, to cover for males from uh, the navel to the, the knee and the females, uh, the, 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 the awrah is defined as well. Why would the Prophet ﷺ command us to cover the awrah and then make a dua where the awrah can be, ex- uh, you know, describing the awrah as being exposed? So this hadith of um, uh, Abu Lubaba or Hatta Yaquma Abu Lubaba, uh, this hadith is weak. This hadith is uh, weak, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best, uh, and and it's been cited weak by many of the of the scholars of hadith as well. Um, and that that brings us to. The end of what we had read. Inshallah, when we come back to our Zad class, um, which is uh, next um, Saturday, inshallah, as we said, we'll try and fit one in. Uh, an email will come to you all by Wednesday, inshallah. Um, and for now, for now, let's say that the class is on. Uh, only uh, I'm expecting some travel, and that's why earlier we said that today would be the last Zad class. But inshallah, there's some amendments there, and that's why I want us to do another Zad class. So for now, let's say we're having a Zad class, brothers and sisters. Please come in your numbers, um, and if anything uh, changes, you will be informed by uh, Wednesday um, or Thursday latest. So from the outset, we are having a class next week, Saturday, inshallah. And when we do, we will begin from page 85, which uh, details the Prophet ﷺ's guidance during his travels and his acts of worship uh, therein. Inshallah, inshallah. Uh, brothers and sisters, look, if, if you know of other brothers and sisters who, who, who are enrolled in the class, please do us a favor and give them a buzz and uh, tell them not to rely on the recordings that we are sending them, uh, but rather, you know, that they should um, attend the class live. Um, honestly, it's, 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 it's a difficult situation. And, you know, should we stop sending out recordings and notes? You know, are we spoiling the ummah too much, right? Uh, because it's clear, the moment we started sending out recordings, uh, live attendance numbers dropped. The moments we started sending notes with the recordings, it dropped even further. So we feel like the work's being done for us. Um, look, I do know that hundreds are benefiting, no doubt about it. Uh, but we're talking about live, the live attendance, especially since our partners, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them, have paid sums of money uh, to cater. Uh, for uh, a larger attendance because that was initially the case that was initially uh, the case right and and we don't want a case whereby uh, people can't get into the class like we had on the first day people couldn't get into the classroom because um, the classroom um, had a limit in terms of the numbers that could come in since then our partners have paid extra money uh, to open up um, you know the numbers that can attend uh, this particular class so um, you know, brothers, brothers and sisters, if you know anyone who is enrolled, please uh, share with them the message. Please share with them the message. Uh, As I said, I know hundreds are, are benefiting because the, the, the people are downloading the audio and accessing um, the notes and so on and so forth. But the point is that uh, never be delayed. Remember, we discussed this, right? The person who prays salah in the front is not like the person who prays at the back. 
And the person who attends the live session is going to receive from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and blessings that the people who listen to the recordings and, and read the notes afterwards will never receive. This is a fact. This is, all, this is also a fact. Right? The, the people who attend live cannot be the same with Allah uh, as the people who don't attend and, 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 and catch up afterwards, who do qadha. So, uh, in terms of us being excellent with the people, please also uh, contact those who you know and tell them that, look, attend the class live um, and don't be delayed, right? Don't be delayed because those who are delayed will be delayed, right? We know the Prophet ﷺ said that uh, the people have not uh, continued to delay themselves except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will delay them, will make them delayed. Right? Nobody wants to be later on the day of Qiyamah. You want to be, you want, you know, you want to be in the front lines in terms of those who Allah's mercy is falling upon. You don't want to be at the back. I think uh, the point is clear. Our time has come to an, to an end, my dear brothers and sisters. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything corrected is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Ameen. Uh, I love you all for the sake of Allah, brothers and sisters. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us and make this knowledge that we learn evidence for us and not against us and make us, uh, especially those who attend the live sessions, make us those who are forgiven upon our departure uh, and make us those who hear a good word and follows it. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Until next time, my dear brothers and sisters, please take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.